0: Thank you for being a listener of the We Are LA Tech podcast. To support and collaborate with the community, become an MVL Most Valuable Listener, you'll have ad-free episodes, and join us on our monthly
1: Zoom calls with other podcast listeners and get to know the community at wearelatech.love, linked in the show notes.
0: I mentioned most of the subscription services that have come have been kind of on that luxury segment. And they're really raising the ceiling, or at least that's how we like to describe it. But by lowering the floor, we're giving people who may not have access to traditional vehicle ownership, or if they do, they're have it at, you know, insane rates, 17, 18, 20% interest, where it just doesn't make sense, right? Our belief with the subscription is the main benefit isn't to swap cars whenever you want, it's to be able to walk away when you lose your second job or have your hours cut. That's really the the, the problem we're trying to solve.
1: I'm Alex Bloomberg, host of the podcast Startup, and you're listening to We Are LA Tech. and I'm a product manager. I built platforms used by AOL, Coca-Cola, and National Geographic. I love listening to We Are LA Tech because Spree and her team really make it easy for us to understand the LA Tech community and really break down how companies and users can utilize this new emerging technologies to build businesses and connect with their communities. You can follow me online at josephhoguin.com. That's Joseph hoggin H-O-L-G-U-I-N dot com. Hello and welcome back to the We Are LA Tech Podcast, spotlighting LA Tech companies and talent throughout the region. I am Dave Whalen. CEO of Bioscience LA and uh, guest host supporting Esprit Devorah and the awesome We Are LA Tech community. So excited to have Alex Wolnowitz from Simple Car here today. And uh, Alex, uh, I'm not going to spoil his whole story, but he and I share a a business school, alma mater, uh, UCLA Anderson School, which is how we've gotten connected. But uh, he's got an amazing story pre-Anderson and what I think is a very cool story post-Anderson. So Alex, take it away. Hello, just dive in and tell us who you are, where you come from, and, and how you got
0: here. Awesome, Dave. Thank you for having me. Glad to be here. Um, it's 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 definitely my story. I don't know if it's uh, amazing or awesome. We'll we'll leave that to the listeners, but uh, it's definitely been a fun ride. So, uh, a little background on on I guess who I am. My name is Alejandro, and my last name is Bojniewicz. So, there's a there's there's an immediately a question mark as to who I am, where I'm from, how does that even make sense? But uh, My heritage is Polish-German. We left Europe. uh, My great-grandparents left Europe, settled in Mexico. And uh, that's where my parents were were born and raised. That's where I was born. And I was primarily raised in the States. So Alejandro is the Mexican side of me. Wojniewicz is the uh, German side of me. And and that came together to create a very pale, um, blue-eyed Mexican. But as I mentioned, born in Mexico, Uh, I left when I was pretty young. I left there when I was two to Puerto Rico. And uh, I lived in Puerto Rico until I was six, and then moved to South Florida shortly thereafter. So basically, raised in the states, I uh, went through all my schooling in uh, in South Florida, and then it was definitely home, and I and I still consider it home to this day. My my parents are still out there. My I met my wife in high school out there. Um, her family's still out there, so it's it's definitely still a big part of who we are. But you know, we'll we'll dive into this a little bit more detail sometime down the road. But LA has really been home now for coming up on a decade, which is. Wild to think about, but you know, high level about me. I was the kid, as cliche as it sounds. Ride his bike to school, stop by the gas station, pick up a pack of Starbursts, sell them each for a quarter at school, and you know, turn a dollar twenty five into four, and, and buy yourself an ice cream on the way home. My dad was a businessman. I had no idea what that meant, but he wore a suit and took a padfolio to, to to work every day, and, and that was ultimately what I dreamed of being. I just wanted to be just like my dad. Then you know, fast forward a couple years, get to college. I went to undergrad at Florida State University. As we were doing orientation, we were kind of going through the college of business because again, I wanted to be a businessman, no idea what that really meant. But I was sitting through all the different majors, and uh, i I stumbled across uh, uh, an entrepreneurship presentation, and that Florida State entrepreneurship was a major that one could elect, and that was really the first time that I took a step back and said, "Wow, you know, I could study this this is." I always thought an entrepreneur was just something you were. You just had to take that leap. You had to start a business. It wasn't something you could go to school for. And that really kind of shifted my perspective and being like, all right, this this is this is something that you can study, perfect, and grow towards. Um, and you know, that entrepreneurial itch has, has kind of always been in me. So at Florida State University, I double majored in both finance and entrepreneurship. Uh hedged my bet. I didn't really fully buy into the the entrepreneurial degree. So I figured I'd I'd go with the safe route and get finance as well. But it was an amazing experience. You know, Florida State was was extraordinarily fun, prototypical college experience. You could definitely make a movie of your time there. But a, a huge part of of you know who I am today, many close friends that I still keep in touch with, um, and definitely memories that I look back on on quite fondly.
1: My parents lived in uh, lived in uh, Miami area for a few years. Once upon a time, and my youngest brother ended up uh, going to Florida State, and uh, apparently he loved it so much that uh, I I think he. I, I want to say it was approaching a decade to get his bachelor's degree, <laughs> and uh, it was—you know—he was having fun. He also was like working, you know, working on campus. He he went from being a student with a with a job on campus to being a Florida State employee who was doing like classes on the side. But anyway, so I, I can I can see how it can be
0: addictive. That's a path I've seen many walk. I mean, it's a, Tallahassee's beautiful in that it's a college town, even though it's the capital of Florida it's It's really just a college town and Florida State just just runs that city. and it's it's an amazing place to be where it, it, it's honestly a fairy tale world. and it's it's definitely a lot of fun. And if you have a job, then you're really in trouble because you're making you know what you deem is big money at the time and you're spending ten dollars to to go to the bar. And you know at 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 twenty three years old, lather rinse and repeat all day. So um you can definitely get into a little bit of trouble. But it was an amazing experience. Um, you know, as soon as I graduated, I basically found any way that I could to get to California. I had two amazing friends move out here that I kept in touch with. One left in middle school, one left in high school. One moved to Orange County and one moved to San Diego. And we made it a big effort to always keep in touch. So I would come out here at least once a year. You know, as soon as you landed, it's it's a beautiful place, right? The weather, 72, sunny. It's, it's, it's a good reminder of how much we take it for granted living here, but uh, whatever job I could get, that brought me to California was the job I was going to take. And uh, ironically enough, I ended up landing a job at Auto Nation. Um, and I say ironically because Auto Nation is headquartered in Fort Lauderdale, literally 10 minutes from where I grew up in Florida. Ended up moving across the country to work for them at their controller trainee program. So, what I started at AutoNation as was they had just created this controller rotational program. And essentially, what the goal of the program was, was to get young. You know, college-educated professionals to learn the ropes of the automotive industry. And we sat through all the various bu- different desks in a business office. So the way AutoNation and I would guess most dealership groups are structured is a business office supports multiple retail dealerships. And I sat at one of those business offices, D- DMV, tag and title, uh, accounts payable, payroll, you name it, basically did a three- to four-month rotation at each one of those desks. And after two years, culminated in the controller position for four dealerships in Torrance. From there, you know, my wife really gave me the push. I always wanted to get an MBA, but you never know when the time is right. And my wife, she was going through, you know, a busy period at work, and she was like, "Look, I'm going to be working, you know, all day and all night. Why don't you? Why don't you study for the GMAT? You've always been, you've always wanted to do it. You've always said this is something you want to do, and then it makes like the perfect sense. We could both be busy together." And then as I started to think through it, I was like, you you know what? This, this makes perfect sense. I don't have, you know, at the time she was fiance or probably girlfriend, but I don't have kids. I don't have a mortgage. And I'm really, you know, at a position where where I have the privilege to go back to school for a couple of years. And I said, why not? Let's, let's give it a go. Let's study for the GMAT. Let's see how we do. If we get in, great. If we don't, you know, we'll try again next year. But really when I first kind of started that whole business school GMAT process, uh, I just viewed it as my first at bat. And, uh, luckily, you know, UCLA Anderson was, uh, gracious enough to accept me. And then it became home. Were you set on,
1: uh, UCLA? I mean, you wanted to stay in, Cal- in, in LA, but could it have been USC? Could it have been Pepperdine? Or... It could have
0: been, it could have been USC. Um, the way we did it just with my wife's work and everything, we were like, look, this year let's focus on California and we're going to stick to home just since that'll be the easiest transition. If we don't get into where we want to get in, maybe we open up the search and then we would consider moving. Or relocating for the right opportunity. Um, but it worked out. I mean, I was, I was pretty dead set on uh, wanting to go to Anderson if I got in, and I was lucky enough to get in. Um, and it was just a no brainer. You know, initially, when I talked to my manager at, at Otter Nation, who, who wrote me a recommendation letter for business school, I was like, I'm thinking of going to business school. And, and his advice, which is honestly good advice, was like, look, I would recommend you go part time, keep an income. You know, it's, it's a huge opportunity cost to stop working for two years, it's an enormous amount of debt. Um, and you know, I kind of was like, you know, I don't want to do that. I want to really be kind of fully bought in, but I hear you, I'm going to go for full-time. And then kind of what what I was thinking through was I had heard a rumor and I don't even know if this is true, but I still repeat it all the time that if you went full-time, the chances of getting a scholarship were higher than if you went part-time simply because the part-timers were known to have jobs, were known to have a paycheck. And some of them, the company was paying for it on their behalf. So it, it's very rare to be in a position to where a company pays for you to go to business school full-time. So I went through it with that approach, figured I could always toggle it back to the part-time or the executive program if I needed to, but I got lucky. I got I got really lucky. I got a full-time scholarship. Uh, I got a full scholarship to to Anderson. And, and at that point I went to my boss and I was like, look, you know, I got a scholarship. I can't say no. And, and he was fully supportive. He was like, look, I'd love for you to stay on. Um, you know, uh, part-time work. We'd love to continue throwing things your way. We think you're you're an asset, and, and really, you know, we'd love for you to come back after you graduate. So, through Anderson, I was you know, ninety percent full-time, but I still kept in touch with AutoNation. Nation. Was doing you know, miscellaneous almost consulting projects, if you would, if they they had a a big payroll project that they wanted me to kind of sit with Excel and and, and model, I would do that. So. It was the best of both worlds, right? Because I was almost like your your your, your nephew or uh, the gentleman you mentioned at, uh, at Florida State. But you know, I was I was in college with a job, which is a, a, a dangerous and fun combination. So the absolute best two years of my life, uh, all thanks to Sugar Mama, uh, my wife. You know, she 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 held it down, she paid the bills, she paid rent, and uh, best of all, she enabled me to, to to do absolutely everything. You know, we we were able to go on all the trips. We went to Japan. We went skiing. We went to Oktoberfest. It was really an amazing experience through and through, and and one that if you have the privilege of being able to embark on, I I definitely would recommend it to anyone and everybody.
1: Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm, I am biased, but, uh, you know, love Anderson and, you know, love the network. And I, I think it's, it's, you know, it's, it's phenomenal. But, you know, your point about figuring out the right time to do it, that's the, and then there is no right or wrong answer with that. But it's like, it's the the constant, you know, struggle of like, how far do you go in your career? And, you know, what's that, that point of, you know, the inflection point of, you know, how much income are you giving up versus what's going to happen after? But I kind of feel like all that being said, like, if it's if it's the right thing to do, it's the right thing to do whenever you decide it's the right thing to do.
0: And whenever you are in a position to be able to do it, right, not everyone can 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 do it at 25 years old. But you know, if, if if you can do it, my perspective is life only gets more complicated the longer you wait, and then then you know that opportunity cost only continues to grow, and you definitely don't want to find yourself in a position where it's like, crap, I wish I would have done this five years ago. But at this point, you know, um, I'm I'm committed, and I've got a mortgage that that's it needs to keep getting paid. So yeah, it was it was it was, it was an amazing experience. Um, but you know, obviously, as I mentioned, I kept in touch with AutoNation. Uh, I actually did my summer internship with AutoNation back in Fort Lauderdale. So that was a beautiful homecoming, simply because I moved out here immediately, and all my friends, you know, stayed out in South Florida. And then I got to play Corporate America for three to four months in Fort Lauderdale uh, with all my old high school buddies, and it was just something I'd never experienced. You know, Fort Lauderdale to me was childhood. I, I, I lived at home; I had to be home at a certain time. And now I was also living at home. Obviously, I went back and just lived with my parents instead of paying rent. But the dynamic had changed, right? Hey, you know, let us know if you're going out. Just text us when you're home. And I really got to do South Florida like an adult, which was ironic since I grew up there. But I'm sure a lot of people who move away can relate to that, right? It's it's your hometown. It's not your adult town. Exactly.
1: And it's still, that's sort of interesting doing the, you know, you were a full-time employee. You leave the company to become a full-time MBA. You do your summer with that company and you go back to your home where, you know, you had, you know, vowed to leave. It's like this fascinating back and
0: forth. Yeah. And honestly, when I... I left South Florida simply because I knew it, like literally nothing against it. I love and Florida gets a bad rap, but it's it's an amazing place. Um, I know a lot of amazing people who live there, but I know the headlines might, might uh, scare some people off. But to be honest, if I would have been born in Southern California, I probably would have left here, too. It's just I, I wanted to experience something else, see another part of the world, get a different taste for, you know, cultures, people, food. Um, and obviously, you know, Southern California, me being Mexican feels like home. Right. I, I, as soon as I got here, I would send my parents. I would walk into stores and I would send them all the Mexican candy that's everywhere, and you you can't find that in South Florida. South Florida's Hispanic population is mostly Cuban and Venezuelan. Um, so here is, is is I'm basically in Mexico. Um, as far as my parents were concerned, you, you can get certain types of beans, certain types of hot sauces. Um, so yeah, it just it just felt right, and um, you know, almost a decade later, I'm still here. So uh, it's, it's been an, an amazing experience thus far, and you know, when will we leave LA? Who knows, but uh, for now, we're really happy here. Our daughter was just born here, um and it's definitely quickly becoming uh permanent home
1: yeah i will I will say having you know my my wife was born and raised here, so i I kind of uh, you know married into Los Angeles, but then when you you know we have got two kids, once you start to say my wife was born and raised in Los Angeles and my kids are born and raised in Los Angeles, it's really hard to say anything other than you know and, and that's why I'm an
0: angelino <laughs> right. you know I'm here right yeah, yeah and honestly I, I me and my wife joke around it's like we we feel based on our limited world experience we feel bad for the people who were born here because you were born at the top like this is the most amazing place it's got the greatest weather it's got the beaches the sand you can go skiing a couple hours away like you know aside from homes being insanely expensive. It is uh it's a, it's an amazing place to live. Um and we're really happy. We're really really happy. Yeah, no. I
1: I I I hear you. You're definitely preaching to the choir, but no, it's, it's it is an incredible place and I, I agree. If you if you were born here, if you go to school someplace else, hopefully you realize and you come back, but uh yeah, if you spent your whole life here and you kind of feel like you don't realize how good you have it uh or you know, or like the average Angelino who uh you know, never goes to the beach, uh, which I feel like I'm, I'm kind of one of those where I don't spend enough time going to the
0: beach because you forget that it's here. But I mean, I'm one of those two. We're all one of those. I, 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 uh, I lived, I spent, you know, right when we moved out here, um, I, I lived in Hermosa Beach for a couple of years and I was, I was a, truly a block back. And for the first like year and a half, I barely went to the beach, maybe on the weekend. And in the last six months, when I realized that chapter was coming to an end, I, I, I kid you not, I went every single day, every single day. And I was like, I'm going to regret looking back and be like, you used to live a baseball's throw away from the stand, and you just stayed inside because you were lazy. Um, but anyway, so back to uh, automation. So I did my summer internship at, uh, at corporate headquarters, wrapped up business school. And I went back to work for automation as the director of finance. So I moved up in both scope and scale. Um, and I was the director of finance for the Western region, which was basically Texas West. Uh, specifically I covered LA County and the Washington state markets, but at a high level, uh, the entire Western region of the U S we were doing 15 billion in revenue. So a pretty big operation, but I wasn't the head of that for for that, for your, your region was 15 billion Western region. But I was one of multiple finance directors for the Western region. So my boss, the VP of finance, that was his region. Those full 15 billion could be put under his purview and we helped out, but I wasn't the head of it far from the head of it. And then, you know, it was an amazing experience. Automation taught me so much about corporate America, so much about what it's like to run a, a well, I mean, they're a fortune 200 company for a reason, right? And there's, there's a ton to learn. Uh, I got thrown into, uh, a, a situation where I could manage people pretty quickly, people that were far more senior than I am. Um, and I learned a lot really, really fast. And I don't know that anywhere else would have exposed me to as much as quickly as, as kind of my time in Automation. And, you know, I have to give a lot of thanks to my manager, who, who, as I mentioned, was the VP of finance. Um, He was basically my mentor from the moment I got hired. And uh, he really trusted me, gave me a ton of exposure and and gave me a lot of opportunities to shine. So a lot of where I am today or professionally, so to say, I I owe to him. Um, But, you know, all good things must come to an end. The pandemic obviously came about, put a lot of things into perspective for a lot of different people. And uh I just, you know, started to to feel that entrepreneurial itch kind of scratching a little bit. And uh, you know, I I had been at Autonation for seven, almost eight years, uh, including the two years of kind of part-time work while at business school. And I was just, you know, looking for something else. So um ready, ready to make that next leap. And uh I had made the decision that I wanted to leave before Simple Car actually came into the play, but you know. Starting that process of looking for what's next ended up bringing Simple Card to the doorstep, and uh, the rest is history. The rest is really history. So we can we can dig into that a little bit, but essentially through networking, just trying to find another job. I was interviewing for this other startup for uh, the VP of Finance role. So at that point, been in the head of the finance org for for a smaller stage company, and we went through all of the interviews. I believe I was the guy who was going to get the job, or the individual who was going to get the job, and they ended up hiring an inventory manager instead. That position just wasn't created. That opportunity kind of fizzled out. Definitely disappointed, and it just kind of went by the wayside. And then a couple months later, their CFO reaches out, who's actually their interim CFO, and he's an he's an investor in this company, and he's like, "Hey, I might have an opportunity for you." Uh, and essentially, he connected me to Clyde, who Clyde is is my co founder over at Simple Car. And Clyde was like, look, I have this idea. I've got 15 brothers and sisters. He's got an insanely large family. And I continue to see how as they get to the point of driving age, they're making horrible decisions. They're going in, they're buying a $5,000 Ford Ranger on 18% interest. And they're going to be in this car for four or five years making monthly payments that they can't afford. And I know that in six months, that car is just going to break down and require a couple thousand dollars worth of maintenance, so there has to be a better solution out there. And Clyde is 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 in a really fortunate position to where he, he's had multiple successful exits, and and he's got you know a, a couple of different cars. So he basically p- piloted this subscription program with his siblings, his younger siblings, and was like, "Look, I'm going to let you borrow one of my cars. You're going to pay me a flat monthly fee. I'll take care of anything and everything that comes up to that." And then it worked so well that his you know his younger siblings' friends started saying. Can I do that? Can you do that for me? Like I, I I'd love to do that as well. Uh, and then he, you know, the light bulb went off, and he was like, "Look, we got to do this for everybody, right? There's, there's a real need out there. Um, people just need to get from point A to point B flexibly and without debt. And there's nothing that's really serving that market. What do you think about this?" And uh, it was music to my ears, right? Obviously, having been in the automotive space, understanding kind of what the automotive space is built on, and everything that it implies, and and, and everything that goes into getting a vehicle. It's a painful process. And, um, you know, the same way our parents, probably even our grandparents were buying cars is largely still the same way we were buying, we're buying cars to this day. So there's been very, very little innovation on there. And with the Amazonification of everything, as, as we like to call it, everything's on demand there when you want it, gone once you don't. And we basically just tried to build a utilitarian, uh, vehicle subscription that kind of complement that.
1: Every founder should think about kind of that early market research, market testing and kind of, you know, know who your customer is. I don't think I've ever heard a story where the founder could say, here's my, you know, here's my 10 plus siblings and they represent our target market and I've tested this out. That's like, uh, you know, every founder should be so lucky to have a a big family to test things out on. That's just that's just awesome uh, but and i think i think, uh, I think you, you might you might go into this in a minute but just you know thinking about the timing of all of this so you, you one you were, at, you were at Autonation which is Autonation is is obviously it's it's dealership so it's new and used right i mean it's it's a mix of mix of businesses uh, you're going into this you know really interesting used model at you know one of the most interesting times in you know maybe in automotive history right because we went from you know a, a market where you know everyone's just trying to move cars you know every year that's that's always the case but you know we went to a time where suddenly for a moment it was really easy to get new cars and really hard and expensive to get used cars then it became really hard to get new cars because there's no chips to go into the cars and uh i'm honestly i'm not even sure what the market looks like today so uh you've kind of gone through all those chapters
0: yeah, it was, it was madness. And I, I think it definitely would have given a lot of people pause. So for the first probably eight months, every car we bought was worth more than what we bought it for because it was, it was just in, inflationary used car prices. They were going up. So I was like, look, let's, let's buy as many as we can. Like I, I'm not, I, I tried to not get too overly concerned with the value that we were paying on each specific unit. My perspective was always, you know, prices are going to go up, they're going to go down, we're going to keep buying, will dollar cost average into a relatively reasonable rate? Would I want to buy a fleet of 10,000 cars today? Absolutely not. Or, Or this was, you know, back then. And the other side of that same coin is insane demand for our product, right? Because if I can't get a car, or I need to overpay for a car, the consumer needs to overpay for a car as well. And there's going to be a whole slew of people who are going to say, I'm just going to wait out this storm. You know, I'm going to subscribe to this, wait for used car prices to come down or new cars to become available. And then what we're really starting to see is kind of the storage locker phenomenon, or at least I don't don't even know if that's really a thing, but we describe it as a thing. Where, you know, I'm going to get a storage locker for a month, get my house in order, clean out the garage. Eight months later, you still have that storage locker because it's convenient. You never got around to it, and it just works. So customers are far stickier than than even they expect themselves to be, Um, and it just goes to show how painful. The car buying experience really was before that, right? When when you contrast that with like, look, I got a car in the driveway and I can get rid of it the moment I want versus I now need to go find a car, feel like I'm over going to pay and spend, you know, my Saturday all day at the dealership haggling over 20 bucks on the monthly payment. You know, that, that that's not really the way most consumers like to do business nowadays.
1: Right, right. So, yeah. So, I mean, a couple of questions. One, you know, I know it's still early, but what's the what's the average you know the average term of uh of a of a user um and then you know as you go into that also you know how to setting up these relationships so you're buying cars you're getting insurance you're getting maintenance like how do you actually assemble that portfolio of uh of products and services
0: yeah, yeah absolutely, so i guess. I'll give a quick backup because I don't know that I ever actually said what simple car is. But simple car, used vehicle subscription, we bundle insurance, maintenance, roadside assistance, basically any pain point that typically accompanies vehicle ownership, wrap that up into a neat monthly payment and give people a flexible and debt alternative to uh, traditional ownership. A couple things that we're doing differently than you might expect is, as we have mentioned already, we're using used cars. And uh, we're using cars that are maybe a little bit older than you would expect. We're using the Generation 3 Toyota Prius. And on top of that, we're exclusively using the generation through Toyota Prius, so we've standardized the fleet. And uh, the logic behind that is we only need to become experts in one car. It's the most utilitarian car out there; they're absolute workhorses.
1: What is the average term, or like, what do you what do you think it's going to be? And maybe, as you said, it's it's people who think they're doing it for a few months, and you know they're still doing it two years later.
0: Yeah, it's seven to eight months. Uh we're looking at all the data across us and other subscription services that are out there is seven to eight months appears to be the 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 normal kind of um subscription term. We can't verify that yet because most of our subscribers haven't even been in the car for seven, eight months. So we we launched October of last year with with a humble fleet of five cars. And initially the strategy was Let's put together some money. Let's buy five cars. Let's go to market and let's start marketing this, and uh, let's see what demand is. And we sold out within like five days. Like it was, it was, it was, it blew our socks off. We were like, you know, it sounds funny to think back, and it's like, oh, five cars, like that's nothing. You should have known you were going to sell that, but we didn't, right? We thought we were maybe going to sit on these five cars for six months or a year or or whatever. But as soon as we saw that demand and that feedback come back from the market, we we knew we were onto something. We immediately doubled down. It's been it's been an amazing ride. Where we're at now is where we're inching really close to hundred units. Um, so we're, we're growing quite quickly and we intend on getting to a thousand in the next 24 months.
1: Wow. That's, that's re- really, really interesting. And, uh, just back to like, you know, I mean, is there, I think of, you know, car rentals, you know, car, you know, car sales. I mean, there's all sorts of regulations and, you know, requirements and insurance. I mean, is this a, is, you know, is this a regulated industry where you're essentially coming in as a, uh, you know this radically different business model, where the auto nations of the world, or the Hertz of the world, or someone you know looks at you and says, "We've got to, we got to stop simple car."
0: Yeah, I don't think so because you know the, the the automotive space has been really what we are as a rental company, right? And there's there's a ton of them out there, and and all we are as a long term rental company is is really the way to think of it. So although the subscription might seem like a a, a new product, it's really just kind of making small adjustments to a rental or you could even think of it as like a traditional lease in which is just an open ended lease. It's really the same concept we have just kind of made something that's in the middle of those two of those two verticals. The automotive space is interesting in that you know it's not a winner take all type of environment. So I don't think anyone really it's not like software where it's like who well, whoever has the best software is going to win and everyone it's it's just Facebook or no one, right? It's you know there's for every automation there's a Penske, there's CarMax, there's You know, Carvana. There's Shift. There's Uber. There's Lyft. There's multiple players in most things that are automotive. It's very difficult for one person to kind of fully corner the market. Different automotive solutions operate differently in different markets, right? The Toyota Prius works great in Southern California. People think it's a cool car here. They love it. It's it it does send a signal that you care about the environment and you know you're a certain type of person. I don't know if a Toyota Prius would be as well received in Miami, right? Civic or a Corolla might work better there. Our offering in Manhattan would be a problem, right? Where are you going to park this car now? And now I got to find parking for this in Manhattan. So there's different solutions that work in different geographies. Um and I don't think anyone is overly concerned with this is this is going to wipe us off off the map, right? There there there's room for multiple people to serve different needs. There will always be people who want to buy and drive the latest and greatest and feel like they're the only people who have ever have ever driven their car. So there's a lot of companies doing subscriptions on the new car side. At least historically most of the subscription off- offerings that have come and gone have been exactly the opposite of us, which is we're catering to an affluent customer and we're showcasing this as a flavor of the week type of offering, right? You can drive a convertible one month, you can drive an SUV the next, always change, always have the latest, always have a new new smelling car. But our perspective is that's not quite sustainable, right? It's it's how many miles can you really put on a car before someone thinks it doesn't smell? New enough. And uh, the used car side is just, you know, it's a lower asset price. It's less risk. At the end of the day, you're driving around in a 2015 Prius, not a 2023 Range Rover. And um, yeah, much more utilitarian view on the entire kind of vehicle life cycle. And we think most people are starting to agree.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And I know, you know, you and I talked a little bit about this, but just thinking about the, you know, the We Are LA Tech listener, you've got, uh, you know, entrepreneurs of early stage companies, you've got small companies. I, I could see, uh, I could see those entrepreneurs being a really interesting, you know, interesting customer because they, you know, they don't want to get into a long-term lease. They don't want to spend a lot of money on a car, but they have to have a car because they've, you know, they've got to meet with investors. They've got to, you know, go back and forth. Um, I think it's a really interesting idea. Like your idea of, you know, this could be, We're launching our company, we're fundraising, and we've got to have a reliable car for the next six to 12 months while we're doing that. And either we're going to we're going to make a bunch of money and be able to buy a car or we're going to be, you know, we're going to go back to riding our bike, you know, between home and work because we've now got money in the bank and we're just focusing on raising our, you know, growing our company.
0: Right, no, I, I think you're exactly right. I think uh, you know entrepreneurs who are just starting off their journey are the perfect use case, right? It's I don't have the time to be dealing with figuring out a car. I certainly don't have the time to deal with maintenance or repairs when it inevitably breaks down. More likely than not, you're probably going to buy a lower end type of vehicle if you're an entrepreneur who maybe has six months cash in the bank and doesn't know if they're going to have a job in the next year or two. Um, so it, it makes perfect sense, right? And if, and if that startup succeeds great. You give it right back. If that startup fails and you end up moving back home, great. You give it right back. So it's really kind of just built on that flexibility that serves a lot of people, right? It, it, it serves a lot of people. And, and, and really kind of what we describe what we're trying to do is lower the floor of vehicle ownership. So I mentioned the, most of the subscription services that have come have been kind of on that luxury segment. And they're really raising the ceiling, or at least that's how we like to describe it. But by lowering the floor, we're giving people who may not have access to traditional vehicle ownership... Or if they do, they have it at, you know, insane rates, 17, 18, 20% interest, where it just doesn't make sense, right? Our belief with the subscription is the main benefit isn't to swap cars whenever you want. It's to be able to walk away when you lose your second job or have your hours cut. That's really the the, the problem we're trying to solve.
1: Yeah, no, I think that's a, it's a real, really interesting, you know, interesting use case. Uh, and I, I can see people getting, you know, getting excited about that or, you know, it's solving a, you know, solving a problem that they might not be able to solve any other way, which is, which is really interesting. Um, you know, so you talk about, you know, um, you know, probably, you know, they lose their job or something changes. What about with the car? So, uh, you know, I'm, I'm in one of these cars, it breaks down and, you know, needs, needs to go in for maintenance. Is that just a normal kind of thing? Like my car's in the shop and I'm going to get the same car. You know, what if it's in an accident? Do you just give me a new car? And while you're fixing the old
0: car. So that's the beauty of it, right? And that's kind of the, 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 one of the key benefits of fleet standardization is we consider all cars fully replaceable, fully interchangeable. So when you sign up for simple car, you actually don't even pick your car. You just sign up for the service. All we promise you, we're joking, but fully serious. All we promise is you won't get a purple Prius. But other than that, you can expect a black, white, gray, silver, just a generic color that most people will be okay with. Um, and what that allows us is regardless of churn, utilization remains high, right? Because these are all interchangeable. And in situations like you just said, on the maintenance side, if your car breaks down or you get in an accident, um, you know, accident, there's a little bit more to, to, to parse through or were you at fault, were you not at fault? If you were at fault, that might be the end of your simple car journey. If you weren't at fault, we get you in a new car as quickly as possible. But exactly that in a, in a world in maintenance, right? Where your car blows up, I no longer need to fix your car and get it back to you. I can just swap your car. You are on the road in minutes, and then I, you know, I've uh, taken away that proverbial gun from my head that now allows me to fix that car in the appropriate way in the appropriate time, and it's not necessarily just scrambling for a last-second solution, which is more likely than not going to be more expensive and lower quality. So, um, most situations on the maintenance front, we take care of that as well. Um, we do have telematics plugged into every single vehicle, so we understand, you know, driving behavior. And then more importantly, we understand engine diagnostics. So we're getting a live feed as to check engine codes, DTC codes, anything that could potentially go wrong with that car. We know when you're due for your next oil change. We knew we know when your next tire rotation is up. And we basically manage that all proactively without the end subscriber ever having to initiate that. But more importantly too, is us ever having to rely on them to let us know that the check engine light is on, right? Because if someone's in a car, check engine light has been on for 6 months and they say, I don't care it's not my car i'm just going to drive this thing until smoke starts coming out the back that's a problem for us so on the mobile maintenance side if it's something you know standard uh we actually come to you so uh we're partnered with a couple different companies and and they bring mobile technicians out to your home or driveway and it makes it really convenient everything is built on making vehicle ownership as convenient as possible so you need an oil change we take care of it while you're in your meeting you need a, a tire patched up we'll do it in your front door um and uh, that's, you know, 95% of all service solutions are that. In the rare instance in which we need to swap a car, we do. Got it.
1: So that's, uh, that's really interesting. Is that uh, phone, web, do you have an app? Are you building an app? Is this something where someone kind of has like, you know, they've got information about their car, plus you've got the tracking for the whole fleet of 100?
0: Exactly. That, that is the end goal to have an app. It's not a priority for us right now. So right now it is exclusively web-based, simplecar.com that's where you have your member portal that's where you submit an application submitting an application is is 15 minutes you know it's it, it's pretty quick and pretty painless and then there's a couple of steps of onboarding on top of that but it's a it's a pretty seamless experience an app is something we definitely want to build but for now it's just not a priority for us um you know how often are you going to use the the app outside of sign up hopefully not often or else something is going wrong so for now it's all just web based um and you know we're, we're choosing to allocate the finite resources we do have towards growing the fleet instead of creating an app.
1: Yeah, yeah, that, that makes sense. And you know thinking about kind of growing the fleet, uh, where so where is this is all Southern California right now, um, and you're
0: thinking about other markets or trying to figure out the right,
1: you know how big do you get here before you expand another market?
0: yeah we uh, we we are thinking of other markets. We've conducted brief marketing campaigns in other geographies. Think large sprawling metros like Los Angeles, where public transportation isn't reliable. It's not a good way to get around the city and you need a car to survive. So yeah, Dallas, Phoenix, Vegas, South Florida, Atlanta, those type of geographies. We ran brief marketing campaigns just to make sure that this phenomenon wasn't exclusively to the Southern California area. And of course, it's not. But um, our strategy is really to go deeper before we go wide. So Southern California is home base. It makes everything easier for us to be here. It's you know the car capital of the world. You need a car to survive. And uh, our belief is we can get a couple thousand units on the ground here before ever having to concern ourselves with, with spreading ourselves too thin. So we're going to get some you know economies of scale here before we start to make our lives more complicated by having to manage a fleet uh, across state lines.
1: Yeah, uh, ma- ma- makes makes perfect sense. I-, I was recently talking to, uh, an entrepreneur, uh, Renee Dua, who's the founder of a company, uh, a healthcare company called Renee. But the company that she and her husband and business partner, Nick Desai started uh, earlier is a company called Heal, which you might have used before, which is, you know, basically it was, you know, it's telemedicine before that. It was, uh, you know, really house call, you know, doctor house calls driven by an app and, you know, somewhat very similar, you know, you've got your, in this case, their inventory was doctors. They started this in Los Angeles and they, you know, they were in LA in a big way before they started to go to Atlanta and, uh, you know, uh, uh, some of the other places you just mentioned as well. But, you know, ultimately you've got to, you know, you've got to get enough of that enough of a critical mass and, you know, and test the market and, you know, make sure your systems are working and then be able to, you know, suddenly pop up in another market with all of the, required infrastructure, hopefully, you know, hopefully something that you can do faster because you've, one, you've already done it before. And also because some of the, some of the systems are going to work across the country and you don't have to reinvent the wheel. Right. Exactly.
0: that, And and also it's, it's strategic as well, simply because if I've got a, you know, if I've got 5,000 cars on the road in Southern California, that could potentially be an acquirable target for someone who wants to enter this market, right? If I have a couple hundred cars in 20 different cities. Eh, like that that's cool. That's awesome. But it doesn't really get me anything. Right. So it's also more strategic just to have a presence, make a defensible moat in a specific geography, become a brand that people know and trust and 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 kind of feel is here to help them and redefine vehicle ownership. And then we can carry that else throughout the country.
1: Yeah. So uh so switching gears a little bit. Uh, you know, you you you've been at this now for uh you know, I guess a, a year and a half. You know, business has been live for a year. What is, you know, what does a typical day look like for you? Kind of
0: uh, and, and what does your team look like at this point? Yeah, yeah. I mean, a typical day there is no typical day. I mean, my phone could ring right now and I'd have to run out the door right because I still do a lot most of our subscribers, you know, I was the one who delivered their car. Like I'm the I'm I'm CEO. I'm the delivery guy. I'm the porter. I'm the I'm the washer. I'm I'm everything at this point. So, um, you know, if, if a car if someone calls me right now and, and everyone has my number, it's like, hey, I just got my car blew up on the edge of the 405. Like, how do I get home? Um, you know, there's roadside assistance. There's whatever. But if if they need help, I'm I, I got to pick up the phone. So the typical day is is not typical at all. But usually the past couple of weeks um at least a couple days of the week i will head up to the auction so we've partnered with an auction house that's essentially where we onboard and recondition all of our units so that is where i like to say we turn priuses into simple cars right we buy priuses all throughout the country they arrive they land we make sure that they're safe we inspect them we check brakes we check tires we add all the technology that we incorporate into these vehicles and of course we decal them um, and brand them as, as simple car units and then from there they essentially go out through through all of los angeles Lots of meetings. Uh, lots and lots of meetings. The team right now is uh, 6 of us full-time. And then we've got you know a lot of outsourced help. We've got developers in the Philippines. But full-time is basically me and my co-founder. We have a CTO who uh, makes all the, the technology happen. Um, we've got a buyer who helps us source inventory all throughout the country. And then we have an administrative manager who... who that's honestly a, a, a demeaning title. She does so much more than that. She is the lifeblood of the operation. I truly, I tell her every day, she's the most important person in this company, and and she's really just an extension of me, who's forced to be on the computer at all times when I get sucked into running around Los Angeles like a chicken with my head cut off. But that is that is the core team right now, um, and really, we don't intend on hiring too much more. Um, you know, obviously, we our next hire will probably be a, a bona fide COO who who knows what they're doing and, and has really scaled something up uh, from where we are now to where we want to get to a thousand units in twenty four months, but. The entire kind of thesis or strategy is use technology to mitigate headcount as much as humanly possible, right? I've seen it in my own experiences where dealerships really fall into the trap of hiring additional lower hourly wage employees to get anything done. Um, and we just don't want to fall into that trap where we have, you know fifty drivers, fifty porters, fifty car washers. Uh, we want to be a, a quick and nimble solution that we can replicate throughout the country without needing to buy a dealership essentially
1: yeah i i I love that so what you know leveraging technology any 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 tools that you rely on or the company relies on that uh, would be helpful for everyone to hear about
0: a lot of them so on the automotive space one that 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 sounds so trivial but there's a company called reviver um and they do digital license plates so i don't know if you guys have seen them around town but keep an eye out for them they're starting to appear more and more but essentially, it's it's just a digital plate on your back. You can put a little font where it usually says dmv.ca.gov. You could put simplecar.com like we do. But it just displays your digital license plate. And the the main benefit, it's like, okay, that, that's cool. That doesn't really do you much. But when you start to kind of peel back what that means, if I have 1,000 cars and 1,000 different addresses, that's 1,000 renewals every single year going out to different people where cars are moving around town. I'm relying on the end consumer to put that sticker on It might get lost in the mail. With digital license plates, all of the renewal is done online. It updates automatically. That 2022 flips to a 2023 and 2024, whatever it may be. And with that sort of technological solution, we've eliminated what would have been a whole team of, of DMV, essentially, just by being able to manage that online. So, you know, they've been amazing.
1: And that's and that's like a th- I mean anyone can get that right it's like a it's like it's like a thousand bucks or something for the one with uh, telematics I think is it something like that Yeah
0: or? yeah I think it's technically even cheaper than that like you could get the it's like yeah there's two different products um one has telematics exactly right and then uh, but it's basically just like a monthly fee you, you buy the hardware and I think it's just a monthly fee I, that that could possibly be just for the for the fleet pricing um but yeah you could go buy it and now now they're even starting to be sold at dealerships so they've partnered with a couple different dealerships where like at the time of you know at buying a car they'll be like hey do you want a digital license plate and, and some people say yes
1: that's also how you build in the the telematics piece for uh since that's not necessarily built into the uh a uh, uh, you know, old prius at this point
0: we use a different telematics provider um but yeah we 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 brought the telematics on before we brought the digital license plates um so right now those are kind of segregated and our, our, our telematics provider is, is spectacular you know it's it's funny because we ended up going with this telematics provider for one reason and one reason only. And it was, they could get us units in days where every other major player in the pandemic was like, Hey, we're looking at 90, 120 day lead times. So, and, and they've been amazing to work with. They, they, they continue to roll out features. We ask for certain things from them and then they deliver. So um, we're really excited. And then we're definitely not looking to uh, necessarily make a change there anytime soon. Got it. Got it. And then uh, your team, is it all all here in LA? Or are they all over the place? So Ebony's in Hawaii, oddly enough. Um, and that's why I said she's, she's relegated. So she's the administrative manager. She's, uh, she's in Hawaii. And that's why I mentioned she's, she has to be on the computer all the time because she's not here. <laughs> it's spectacular. It works really great because she gets to cover LA really late into the evening without getting too far into her day, right? Like four o'clock Hawaii time is like six o'clock here. Um, and that, that covers most of the working day and she can still have, you know, her, her, her beach vacations in, in, in beautiful Hawaii, but yeah, everyone else is here. Um, actually that's not true. Our, our, our buyer, um, he's in Texas. Um, and, uh, he basically sources all throughout Got it. the country.
1: Got it. Uh, really, really interesting. Uh, so, uh, I want to uh, kind of head toward the closing here but you know big question is how can uh, how can we RI tech help how can the community help and uh, you know one question i've got is uh, you know where are you in kind of the the funding journey and, and what's next for that
0: yeah absolutely well the funding journey is is uh, we're still very far into that the the vc rat race so to say you know we we got to keep raising money to survive uh, that's for sure but uh, we raised the pre-seed round um june of last year we will be launching a proper seed round right after the new year and we are quite excited we've we've gotten you know at least a thumbs up that both of our current VC partners who participate in the last round will be rejoining the second round. Um, and uh, the momentum is definitely on our side heading into this. So how, how, how can we RLA Tech help? You know, just this: listen in, check out the website. Um, if, this, if this works for you, um, sign up. Let me know you heard us on here and we'll definitely uh, make sure we give you some extra love. And uh, if this works for any of your friends, just just share away. I I love that. What's on
1: that note? What's the you know someone goes to the website, they're you know they're interested, they apply. um, How soon can they have a car typically?
0: So there's a couple different things. So when you go on, it's it's usually three or four days. It all depends on how quickly you can get through the kind of verification process. So it's really simple. You submit an application. You'll confirm your identity, take a picture of the front back of your driver's license and a selfie to match. So that's step number one. That takes 15 minutes. We know who you are. We know your driver's license is valid, and uh, you're off to the races. From there, there's really only two things that you need to do. You need to review and sign your subscription agreement and you need to link up your bank account through that will allow us to ACH debit. Uh, once those two things are done, that's it. ACH verification sometimes takes two to three days and then we'll collect that first deposit. We like to, we're being a little overly cautious right now and we like to wait that that initial deposit clears before we deliver the car simply because there is no debt associated to it. There is no recourse. We don't want someone to pay a deposit, deliver a car, and then three days later, find out that payment failed and good luck. Go get the car. Yeah. Yeah. That's
1: still, that's, uh, you know, considering that uh, I, I, myself and others, I know, you know, they've, they've waited, you know, weeks, you know, months sometimes now to get some, you know, get a new car, get any kind of car, um, you know, being able to have a car in a few days. I mean, last time I tried to rent a car at an airport, I I couldn't even get one. So I feel like, you know, even, even car rental places, it's longer than a three-day wait sometimes. (laughs)
0: Yeah, yeah, no, for sure. And we we, we definitely have a couple of uh, Tesla subscribers who, uh, who who signed up and said, "Hey, I just ordered my you know <laughs> Model X. It's going to be here in a year. I need something between now and then." Awesome.
1: Now this is this is very cool. And uh, I I've got to um, I feel like I got to you know wrap up with one final question because you were talking about uh, you know your family and your your parents and you know kind of you know coming here. So when your parents come to visit, uh, where do you take them to eat? Uh, that might be, might be proxy for where's your favorite Mexican food in L.A., but uh, where do you take your parents to eat when they come to town?
0: We don't go Mexican. We don't go Mexican. My parents love John and Vinny's. We go there all the time. And I know some people are going to hate on this, but Sugarfish, they, they drool over it. And my dad is that guy who had never eaten sushi in his life. And I just I was like, you, you need to try this. And every time he comes back, he's like, I need to go to Sugarfish. I need to go to Sugarfish. Wow.
1: You know what? I have to say this and I mean this. I mean this in a positive, in a a complimentary way. Sugarfish might be the most Miami sushi (laughs) restaurant in Los Angeles. I'm going to say. No, I hear you.
0: I hear you for sure. We love it. It's amazing. They can't get it over there. And honestly, for for the price, I think, uh, you know, I'm a fan. I'm definitely a fan yeah well like i said we are we are
1: uh we're, we're pretty we're pretty blessed in in l a to have uh you know all, all that kind of stuff and even just the the dichotomy of john and Vinny's and sugarfish because you couldn't find two you couldn't find two more different restaurants uh
0: that are uh you know
1: representative of whatever kinds of animals you're eating i guess right but like
0: it's <laughs> Yep, and then uh, at John and Vinny's, I will say I think the, the 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 spicy fusilli gets all the headlines, but but the bolognese is the sleeper for anyone who hasn't been. That's that's the best one that needs to be sampled.
1: Nice, awesome. Well, this is good. This is I, I have. This gives me some places, reminders of places I should be trying out over the holiday break here. So, uh, Alex, this was really awesome. Thank you so much. Uh, so, people just they want to simplecar dot com is where they should go to. Uh, find out more. If uh, if an investor is listening, uh, do you want them just to email you or what's the best way for a, a seed investor to get in touch with you?
0: Yeah. Email or LinkedIn would be spectacular. I think it's uh, LinkedIn.com slash Alex Wolnowitz or forward slash Alex Wolnowitz. But you know, if, if, if you just type in that lengthy last name, there's probably only four of us out there. So it'll come up or just type in Simple Car and you'll see us there. But yeah, otherwise, Alex at SimpleCar.com would, uh, would be amazing. So thank you, Dave. This was This was awesome. This was fun and I really enjoyed it. Awesome. Awesome. Cool.
1: Alex, thank you so much. Uh, thank you everyone for hanging out with the We Are LA Tech podcast today. Uh, to connect and collaborate with more amazing people in the LA Tech community, uh, please go to the We Are LA Tech Facebook group. That's uh, at wearelatech.com slash community. Uh, or uh, check in on social, at We Are LA Tech on Twitter, on Instagram, on Facebook. I will see you soon. Happy holidays all. Or if you hear this, into uh, the new year, happy new year. But... Alex, thanks so much. This was awesome.
0: Thank you, Dave. It was a pleasure. Hi, this is Alex Wolnowitz. I'm founder and CEO over at Simple Car. We are a used vehicle subscription, giving people a flexible and debt-free alternative to vehicle ownership. I'm based in Playa Vista, and you're listening to We Are LA Tech.
1: The We Are LA Tech podcast is hosted and produced by me, Esprit Devora. With help from Janice Geronimo.
0: Edited by Corey Jennings. Production and voiceover by Adam Carroll.
1: Music from Jay Huffman Live and Epidemic Sound. The We Are LA Tech podcast is a WeRTech.FM production.